0: is Instead of complaining about the government size, we should say, what am I doing to fix this? Because there's more than enough Christians to be able to help all the people in the world. We have more than enough food and all these things, but we're not choosing to follow the ways of God. So that's what I always do. Instead of complaining, I always say, Lord, rather than complaining, what can I do differently so that what's bugging me won't exist anymore? Because you realize God doesn't need a new plan on how to fix the world. He already has a plan. It's called the church, the people of God. And we have to step into that.
1: It's easy to complain. Things go wrong in our world. And the trials and difficulty get to us, leaving us feeling helpless and even grumpy. Pastor Daniel suggests a different response for Christians today. Instead of complaining, members of God's church and His hands and feet on earth need to do something about it. We won't be able to solve the entire world's problems, but we can make a difference where we are with God's help. Now, here's Pastor Daniel in Deuteronomy chapter 26 with part three of his message, Be Special.
0: You can't forget what God has done. And you find that the children of Israel recite their familial history... Over and over and over and over again You find it in almost every single book of the Bible Overtly And it's always in the undercurrent Why? Because what God has done in the past Is a reminder of what God will do in the future When you see God be the great redeemer The great deliverer You now pay that forward You say because God has been this way in my past I can trust that God is going to be that way in the future right? And so for the children of Israel here, they are reminded this idea that my father was a Syrian about to perish. And that really speaks of the fact that Abraham, he left Ur of the Chaldeans and he settled in an area called Haran, which is a city in what was called Aram in upper Mesopotamia. So some of your translations said Aram or Syria, same area. And he was wandering about. And it says that he was about to perish. And the idea was when that great famine happened, God had already prepared the deliverance of the children of Israel by having Joseph be sold into slavery by his brothers, right? You can remember this all from the end of the book of Genesis. And Joseph even says, you guys meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. You guys sold me into slavery because you wanted to get rid of me because you didn't like me and you wanted some extra dough to be able to play with. But God wanted me to get here so that I could save many people alive. And I could be God's vehicle for it. So even though they were in dire situation, right? Joseph was there and then Joseph sent for them. And because of the vision that God had given Pharaoh that Joseph was able to interpret, there was enough grain in Egypt to provide for everybody. Right? And it says that they go there few in number. If you remember in your Bibles, it says that they went with 70 people down to Egypt. Now, it says in the book of Acts that there was 75. And some of those people, some people are like, well, that's why I can't believe the Bible. No, 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 no the Bible's smarter than you. It always has been. Where'd the extra five people come from? Well, guess what? In the counting of the people who went to Egypt, there's 70. Where's the five? Joseph, his wife, and their kids. I love when people say, look, look, there's a mistake in the Bible. I can't trust somebody. No, no, no. The Bible's smarter than you. God puts these things in there so that we have to think about it. We have to understand. We just say, Lord, what does this mean? So they go down, there few in number But then they grow to a mighty number of people And you remember the book of Exodus opens up with this fact That the children of Israel had proliferated in the land And another pharaoh ascended to the throne Who didn't know Joseph, who didn't trust Joseph And they saw God's blessing on the children of Israel And how they were growing like crazy And the pharaoh said, uh-oh, I got me a problem Because if they're so numerous Then they're going to overtake my empire So what do you do? He said, I'm, going to sub- I'm just going to subjugate them I'm going to put them in a bad situation and they recite all this stuff, all these things that we have read. The Egyptians mistreated us, and they afflicted us, and they laid hard bondage on us. So what do we do in verse 7? So we cried out to the Lord, your God, or your fathers. My friends, listen. The first person to call upon when you are in a hard place is the Lord. You have to remember that. Because you know what mostly you do? We call our friends. We call, you know, Ghostbusters or whoever, you know, when there's a problem. But you have to remember, the first call is to the Lord. See, and the beauty is, is when there's no other options, the only person you have to call upon is the Lord. And in some ways, that's the most beautiful place to be. But I want you to put the Lord on speed dial. Because when you bring whatever's going on to the Lord, then you start to get that divine counsel of, this is what I want to do in your life. This is how I want to work in this situation Oftentimes the Lord is the last person we get to And we try this person's advice And this person's advice And this person says we should do this thing But if we were to just speak to the Lord And search his word We will get what exactly what we're supposed to be doing And how we're supposed to be doing it So they cried out to the Lord And it says that the Lord looked upon He heard our voice He looked upon our affliction And our labor And our oppression And so what did the Lord do? He delivered And I'm here to tell you this Listen No matter what's going on in your world, no matter how much havoc is happening, maybe you created all the havoc. When you call upon the Lord, he hears your voice. He looks upon your affliction and he seeks to redeem. It doesn't matter what it is. It doesn't matter where you've been. It doesn't matter how messed up you've made everything. When you call upon the Lord, he will hear you when you cry. He will see what is happening and he will do a work. I had someone recently say to me, like, you know, this whole Christianity thing. You know, I don't understand why, you know, when things get bad, people call upon God. I'm like, they're right. They do. I'm like, you know why? Because when you're out of resources, you need to call on somebody who's got more resources than you. But you know what the thing is? All of our resources that we think are going to help us, they really don't. They just keep us from being the people that we're supposed to be. So the key is to learn that without having to lose everything. The key is to learn that reality in a place where you have it and say, look, my trust is in the Lord. But when you don't have any other help, I'm like, I love it when people call on the Lord when they're at the end of everything. Because you know what? They should have called upon him in the beginning. So it doesn't matter when, God's not like, well, you should have called me first. I'm not answering your phone call right now. That's not the heart of our father. He just loves it when his kids call upon him and we say, Lord, we need to do a work. What are we supposed to do? And I'm here to tell you, because I know there's some of you here right now, some of you who are listening to this, who you do not believe God can redeem Everybody else, but you think, God can't redeem me. I've done too many things wrong. I've made too many mistakes. I'm here to tell you that is a lie. That is a lie. Why? Because the enemy of your soul wants to keep you right where you are, which is lost, because he's lost, and he misery loves company, and he wants you to be there. But I'm here to tell you that if you cry out to the Lord, no matter where you're coming from, no matter what it is, he will hear your voice, he will see what is going on, and he will do a redemptive work. That's a promise. It's a promise. Now, I'm here to tell you, God's redemptive work often never looks the way we think it will. The children of Israel did not expect God to do all that he did with Egypt. I mean, remember, God started bringing plagues on Egypt, and things got harder for them before it got better right? And ultimately God delivers them with a mighty hand and they end up before the Red Sea and the Egyptian armies coming behind them and everyone's flipping out. But God still redeems. God's ways of doing it are unique. So I always tell people, well, God didn't redeem. No, he, he will, but it often doesn't look the way you think it's going to look. But God's ways are higher. They're better. So there's this constant recital of God's faithfulness. You know, look at verse eight. So the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand and with an outstretched arm and with great terror and with signs and wonders. And he brought us to this place and has given us this land, a land flowing with milk and honey. Now, I love that idea of flowing with milk and honey. I always like to remind you what that actually means. Now, it's a different culture for us. we are like, milk and honey. I can go to the farmer's market. I can go to Chuck's Produce. I can get my milk and honey. But a land flowing with milk and honey means there's great lands for grazing, So all the cattle can get what they need and have a lot of milk and honey. This was long before high fructose corn syrup and cane sugar and sucralose and Splenda. The only way to to sweeten your food was with honey. A land flowing with milk and honey was absolutely awesome. It was like going to Costco and everything's free. You know what I mean? It's like, that's what it's talking about. It's like being in a Twinkie factory and you own all the Twinkies. You know, that's like my heaven spot right there, you know walk into a Twinkie factory and like that's all yours so insert your favorite foods and you won't get fat eating them and you'll live forever eating them that's what a land flowing with milk and honey is a good land that's what it means but notice what it says in verse 10 because God has done that verse 10 and now behold see God does his thing and we respond to God's good and now behold it says here I have brought the first fruits of the land which you O Lord have given me see that God does all this amazing stuff and we respond by giving the first fruits back to the Lord. Lord, this is the first fruits of the land that you gave me. All this that you have given me, I turn it back to you, God. And my friends, I want you to live lives like that. You give God the first fruit of your time. Like I love Charles Spurgeon said, I've always, I was blessed to read that at a young Christian, I will never look into the eyes of another person before I first look into the eyes of the Lord. You give God the first fruit of your day why you know what happens if you don't give god the first fruit of your day you get through the whole day i mean how many of you try and have your quiet time at night i know what i call that sleeping because you're like lord i'm gonna pray and you're tired and you shut your eyes and you wake up the next morning drooling on your bible that's how that works you know how i know that because i've tried but when you give god the first fruits of your day you give god the first fruits of your energy what most of us do is we design our entire day and we do everything and we give God whatever's left over. You know what you find? There ain't nothing left over. You're giving God the leftovers of your day. No, you give giving the best of your day. You take the gifts that God has entrusted you and you say, Lord, I'm going to give you the best of my energy in those gifts. I'm not going to waste it on everything else. And if I have something, no, you give them the first fruits. We want to be first fruit kind of people. Not because we have to, not in some legalistic way so that God loves us. God already loves us. And because God loves us, we give him our best. In the same way, my wife loves me. I give her the best of who I am. Why? Because she loves me. You respond to God's goodness. And that's the encouragement here. And I love this. It says, you know, in the middle of verse 10, then you shall set it before the Lord your God and worship before the Lord your God. So you shall rejoice in every good thing which the Lord your God has given you and your house, you and the Levite and the stranger who is among you. Notice the giving of the first fruits is an act of worship. That's what this is. This is a means to worship. And you and I were created to worship God. Not just when we get together in church on Wednesdays and Sundays. Not when you're just in a small group. We're meant to live lifestyles of worship. We present our bodies as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to God, which is our reasonable service. That's what it says in Romans 12.1. Or some of your translations says, which is your spiritual act of worship. Right? We live worshipful lives. And I want to encourage you, don't just worship on Sundays and Wednesdays. Worship every moment of every day. Look at the, when you go to your job, I'm worshiping God and my boss is getting the benefit or these customers are getting the benefit. When you're home helping your kids do the homework, you worship God by helping them understand how to do the four times tables. You know, when you are entertaining yourself, however you do that, you say, I want this entertainment to be an act of worship. And if you're like, well, this entertainment isn't very worshipful, then stop it. You know what I mean? If the thing that you entertain yourself with is sin and you're living lives of worship, you're like, well, this isn't really worship. This is actually Jesus died on the cross. That I do this? I'm going to stop doing that. It's all about living lives of worship. Why? So you shall rejoice in every good thing. See, when we do not give of our first fruits, we are not rejoicing in every good thing which the Lord our God has given us. Because if you're not worshiping over every good thing God has given you, then how can you say that you're enjoying it? Because worship is the fulfillment of joy. Like A great example of this, when you're watching a football game, if it's the last couple minutes and your team's driving down the field and they score an amazing touchdown, nobody sits there. Right? What happens? They jump up, throw popcorn, scream and yell. You know, why? Because... The joy of the moment must be expressed It's almost like if you don't get a chance to express it It's like it's missing something Like I remember, I was thinking about this as I was preparing for this message I remember the day I asked Lynn to be my bride Right, We were in Bidwell Park in Chico, California she was living there at the time. I'd flown out from New Jersey. I had a ring in my pocket. I met my, who's my present father-in-law. And I asked him if he'd let me marry his daughter. And he's like, well, you guys really haven't known each other very long. Maybe you guys might want to not get married. But I won him over with my charm, you know. And I'll never forget it. I remember when I kneeled down, like she was looking the other way. And I got on my knee and I had this ring out. And I said, Lynn, God has called us to be husband and wife. Will you be my bride? Right? And her response was so awesome. It was so much fun, right? But I imagine if she just sat there and just stared at me. (laughs) Not saying a word. She'd be like, wow, this is really good food we're eating. Right? It's like, imagine having an amazing experience and not even being able to rejoice in it. See, worship is the proper response to the goodness of God. And what happens is, is if we are not first fruit kinds of people, it's like we are in that moment, your team just won the Super Bowl on the last play and you're just sitting there like, it's like nobody does that unless you hate football, right? And in the same way, and if you hate God, then who cares what God's doing? But if we call ourselves Christians, then man, everything God does, you're like, You know, it's like we get get a little, little dancing in the spirit or something. So be first fruit kind of people. That's what I'm trying to get at. So in verse 12, look what it says. It says, When you have finished laying aside all the tithe of your increase in the third year, the year of tithing, and have given it to the Levite, the stranger, the fatherless, and the widow, so that they may eat within your gates and be filled, then you shall say before the Lord your God, I have removed... The holy tithe from my house and also have given them to the Levites and the widow according to all your commandments, which you have commanded me. I have not transgressed your commandments, nor have I forgotten them. I have not eaten any of it when in mourning, nor have I removed any of it for an unclean use, nor given any of it for the dead. I have obeyed the voice of the Lord my God and have done according to all that you have commanded me. Look down from your holy habitation from heaven and bless your people Israel on the land which you have given us just as you swore to your fathers a land flowing with milk and honey now this speaks of another offering that would happen every 3rd year which was really designed for the levite the stranger the fatherless and the widow so this is a special so not only do you have the first fruit tithe which you get when they move into the promised land, we have other places where we get the first fruits of every harvest goes to the Lord. And now you have this third year gift that would go to provide for the, the Levites, so the people who worked within the tabernacle or temple courts, and for everybody who is vulnerable. So this is like a special offering that would be taken to help the people who were the most vulnerable. Because remember, the Levites got no inheritance of the land. Why? Because God was their inheritance. So they were at the mercy of the generosity of the people. Right? And then you have the poor and the stranger and the fatherless and the widow and all these people who needed the help of the community. So every three years, you would have another special offering to take care of all of these things. And so the idea is, and that's what the, in the Bible speaks about the tithe and the offering. So the tithe is the tenth or the, you're giving the first fruits, right? And then the offering is all these other things that you can get involved in. And I think as followers of Jesus, we say, Lord, we're going to bring the first fruits To you. And then we also have money set aside for all these other things that we can get involved in. Does that make sense? Because there is all these other things. Maybe you have a heart for children. Maybe you have a heart for the unborn. Maybe you have a heart for wanting to send young people on mission trips. Maybe you have a heart for eradicating malaria or foster care or this or that. Or maybe you're the kind of person you're like, I just want to have some money set aside for what God may want to do. And you see what God brings in your direction. So the idea is, is having this idea of we have this lifestyle of, and of course, all through the scriptures, and we talk about this all the time, God wants us to look out for the vulnerable. God wants us to take care of the vulnerable. I think a lot of the political problems we have in America, big government, small government, welfare, it's because the church isn't being the church. So instead of complaining about the government size, we should say, what am I doing to fix this? because there's more than enough Christians to be able to help all the people in the world. We have more than enough food and all these things, but we're not choosing to follow the ways of God. So that's what I always do. Instead of complaining, I always say, Lord, rather than complaining, what can I do differently so that what's bugging me won't exist anymore? Because you realize God doesn't need a new plan on how to fix the world. He already has a plan. It's called the church, the people of God. And we have to step into that. But oftentimes we're more content complaining rather than saying, well, if I don't like the fact that there's a a problem with government spending on entitlements, maybe you should say, well, what am I doing to help people who are in need? Who am I discipling? Who am I bringing under my wing to help them take needful steps to grow so that they are not in need of that? How am I helping rather than I'm just frustrated and I'm complaining? Now, I say that to you as brothers and sisters in Christ because I love you but our world loves to complain about things we don't like. And they think that's like, if you're not outraged, you're not paying attention. And the church has bought that line of thinking. was, no, no, no. If we're outraged, then we are the hands and feet of Jesus. And whatever we think is outrageous, we need to start fixing so it doesn't exist anymore. And so what it does is it takes the onus of, it's not my fault, it's someone else's fault and I'm mad about it. It says, no, what is God inviting me into? Because I always like to say, when you notice it, when you see a need, you seek to meet a need. When you see a problem, you start to say, Lord, how would you use me? Not as somebody who continues the cycle of everyone just complaining about this, but how do you want to use my life to start to eradicate this very problem? Because if it's a problem and God loves his creation and he sent his son to die on a cross for my sins to help fix me, then rather than complaining about it, I'm going to start to be the change agent in this world. As I like to say, transformed people transform people. See, when God transforms your life, you become a transformational agent in the world. And if you're here today and you put your faith and trust in Jesus, then you are transformed and in the process of being transformed. And God wants not you just to be transformed, but he wants you to be an agent of transformation in the world around you. Powerful stuff, eh? Look what it says in verse 16. The day the Lord your God commands you to observe these statutes and judgments, therefore you shall be careful to observe them with all your heart and with all your soul. Today, verse 17, you have proclaimed the Lord to be your God and that you will walk in his ways and keep his statutes, his commandments and his judgments and that you will obey his voice. Also today, the Lord has proclaimed you to be his special people, just as he promised you that you should keep all his commandments and that he has set you high above all nations, which he has made in praise, in name and in honor, and that you may be a holy people to the Lord your God, just as he has spoken. See, this is a closing statement for this middle section, right? Where it's like, we got all this retelling of the law. Now you have this closing statement. Notice, First, that God is looking for obedient people. Obedience is necessary, right? And I love this because it says in 1 John that God's commandments are not burdensome. Why? Because God's love has been poured out on our hearts. So we obey the Lord because we know that He is good and His intentions are good. So when God says, listen, I don't want you to touch that hot stove because you're going to get burned, you say, Lord, thank you for looking out for me. I'm not going to touch that hot stove. When God says, look, I don't want you to do this because I love you too much to hurt yourself, you say, you know what? God loves me too much for me to hurt myself, so I'm not going to do this thing. And when God says, I want you to live this way because this is the good way to live in my good world as my people, we just obey that. So God wants us to be obedient people. Next. Not only does God want us to be obedient people, I love this because it says in verse 18, And today also the Lord has proclaimed you to be His special People. You guys are special But here's the thing God proclaims you to be his special people
1: Jesus is real. We are special in God's eyes He's called each of us to do great things for his kingdom And only you can do what he's given you to do God gave each of us, His children, unique passions and talents. and He's promised to be with us as we follow His path. Today, Pastor Daniel encouraged us to not let problems in the world leave us complaining and resentful, but instead to do all we can to make a change. Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram have become a regular part of our everyday lives. And we want to be sure to encourage you to check out Pastor Daniel's Facebook page, Twitter feed, and Instagram. Log on to JesusIsRealRadio.com and follow the links. Pastor Daniel shares two-minute video messages throughout the week on his Facebook page. Log on to JesusIsRealRadio.com and follow Pastor Daniel
0: has been doing some amazing things at Crossroads. One of the things that I'm the most stoked about is our new campuses. We launched a brand new campus in southwest Portland. So if you're in the area, I'd love to invite you to come and join us for worship Sundays at 10 a.m. Our online campus is reaching the entire world. And we'd love to have you join us on Sundays at 9, 11, or 1 p.m. or Wednesdays at 7 p.m. at CrossroadsLive.tv. Now here's Josh with what's coming up on our next episode of Jesus Israel Radio.
1: Today's message concluded Pastor Daniel's blueprint series in the book of Deuteronomy. The people of Israel were being reminded of God's laws as they stood poised to enter into the land he had promised them. These reminders were necessary for them and blueprints for us to model our lives after. How we live as Christians should reflect God's desired standard, setting us apart from the world that needs his love.